0: Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. Welcome to the show. If you're brand new, uh, this is a show. First of all, I'm, I'm grateful that you're here. <laughs> Uh, It's a show about how some of the biggest and most exciting brands in the world today are mobilizing their masses to become more authentic. And today, I'm on with someone who knows a heck of a lot about big brands across a whole lot of industries, and so I was happy to bring him on as a marketing mind. His name is Stuart Foster. Now, Stuart was most recently chief marketing officer at Top Golf, which I don't know if you've ever been to one of those. I've been to them plenty. They are a ton of fun. But I was talking to him not only about his knowledge about restaurants and entertainment and things like Top Golf, but also his vast experience within hospitality and travel, specifically about this current context, what it means for adapting and being agile, the different segments of consumers that need to be tailored to, the ways to differentiate conversations between those segments, and then ultimately how to become more authentic, how to improve consumer experience and what they'll remember on the other side of this. A wide-ranging interview covering a number of topics, but I'm really glad that we had it and I'm glad to bring it to you today. And of course, at the end, you know, you'll always get that advice on how to build a better brand. So let me let you enjoy it. I'll step back and present to you our podcast today with Stuart Foster. All right, everybody, I am here with Stuart Foster. Now, Stuart was most recently chief marketing officer at Topgolf. Stuart, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, It's good to chat with you. How are you?
1: I'm great today, Adam. Thanks for having me. Really, really uh, excited to have this chat.
0: Yeah, me too. You know what the only thing is? It's like, I wish w- for listeners, we uh, we're both generally in the in the mid-Atlantic and uh, I could have gone and done this in person. And with all this crazy stuff, I, I I just couldn't. It's a shame. But you sound clear, you sound good. And uh, most importantly, we have plenty of good stuff to talk about uh, regardless of, of where we are. Um, I, what I'd like to take the time to do today is uh, since you have uh, a- illustrious experience across uh, a- entertainment and restaurants, and something I didn't know about Top Golf actually is that that's kind of how it's viewed, and also in travel and hospitality, obviously uh, a long, long time at Hilton as well. I, I want to learn from you about like what, generally speaking, the importance is going to be of, of 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 consumer stories of authenticity through that, and we do that a lot on the show but also in the current context like how these maybe industries are going to have to forever be m- morphed or adapt. So, it's a lot that I want to cover and maybe we'll start with that latter um of that with that latter piece because you have seen through these industries lots of change happen. You're at the very tippy top of the leadership chain for these organizations and I just want to get a brief overview from you first on like how you see these industries have adapted during this context generally and, and what's been good and what do you think should be leaned into harder?
1: Yeah, I, I think, look, at the, as I look across the impact of this pandemic, I, there is almost not an industry or a company that isn't being impacted by this. When in the history of modern uh, business, have we seen the economies essentially shut down, people locked down uh, across multiple markets? Uh, globally, never. And so I think, you know, every company had its playbook, you had, you know, from a marketing and kind of consumer perspective, you had your segments, you had your strategies of how you were going to recruit people from different segments. And I I really believe you can take that playbook and stick it in a drawer, because it's obsolete. And these might have been playbooks that you wrote as little as 90 days ago. Uh, early March, I, I know in, in Top Golf, we were building out our plan. I was relatively new there. It was early January. We had uh, built out a strategy for growth, uh, prioritization of opportunities, prioritization of, of of innovation, and that playbook you get you stick it in the drawer because what has happened in the last ten or twelve weeks has just dramatically shifted everything about these brands and i think if you are in charge of marketing and you're in charge of brand and you're looking at your business and you're not thinking about completely i hate to use this word because it's a cliche but if you're not thinking about how you pivot you're going to be behind the eight ball yep and you know in the early days we saw all this communication coming out about we're in this together and we're going to get through this and all these sappy videos. And a lot of it was, you know, parodied on YouTube and-
0: Totally. Uh, oh, it's so refreshing to hear you say that. Yeah. I, I
1: mean, like- it was, it was a joke, right? When it was like insert brand here, um, God, and you had yeah. and they, it was yeah. all p- acoustic piano music and, <laughs> and, for the, you know, pictures of people coming together and all this good feel stuff. Well, this was because people didn't know what to do. And it was like, oh, let's just reassure everybody. And and then we'll figure out what to do. Well, if you haven't figured out what to do, or at least what are the several options of what to do, and it's a fluid situation, right? This these are not times where you can write a write a strategy, write a playbook, and keep it going. Because if think about how we thought about COVID and the potential closing of the economies 10, 12 weeks ago, and what we know today. It's been it's been years of learning, right? Yes. So it's a completely fluid situation, and you have to be able to adapt and pivot and change. And the companies that can move faster and can become more agile are gonna are gonna win. And those that don't um, aren't. And you know, agile, you know, entered into marketing what if you know just a short few years ago in terms of a process, and now it's a requirement. If you're, if you're not just iterating and not waiting to get things done, you know, I've worked at companies where you waited until things were hundred percent perfect before implementing them. And that was already starting to be not the way forward. Well, today it's a, it's a death trap. If you do that, you have got to, you have got to test. You have got to go out with things 40%, right? 60% right and iterate and adapt. And, and, you know, that's the agile mo- model, right? Um, and because the information is changing and the laws are changing and you know in, in the restaurant space, what percentage of people are allowed? Is it 25%? Is it 50%? Well, it's different in Virginia than it is in Texas. Um, and so as you, you know, if you are a multi-venue business as Top Golf is, as Hilton is, as anything really in the hospitality space is, you've got to be flexible. And this idea of a one size fits all strategy is just not gonna work. Right. So, so from a from a process standpoint, you've you've just got to be agile.
0: Totally. Number
1: two, I think this you know these ideas of of who are your um, who are your archetypes, right? And and you know archetypes are one thing, mindsets are another. There are a number of mindsets that have emerged through this process of of COVID that are completely new, right? There's this what I'll call the scaredy cat mindset. There's the Um, I don't believe it. And I'm going out anyway, kind of, you know, bullheaded mindset. Right. And, and there's, there's several others. You overlay those and kind of matrix that with, with, um, with sort of archetypes uh, to come up with your segments. And there, these, this is what I mean about putting the playbook away. These are going to be two very different segments than what you had going out, going before, you know, who, who are going to be the first people to return. I mean, there's data out there today that says young men, young single men, more you know, millennial and younger single men, are the ones that are going to return to actively interacting publicly with other people. Um, they feel bullish, they feel uh, confident that their their risk is much lower, um, and 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 maybe they're a bit foolhardy. But the reality is, those are the those are the ones you're going to see coming back first, and that may not have been your first. Segment previously, you may have had an older segment. You may have had a more female segment. The female, uh, there's research out there now that says, you know, females are being much more cautious, women, um, and, and rightly so. And, and, you know, they may be coming back later. So what does that mean for your business? If you don't have, uh, women coming back to your business, what if you're primarily a female oriented business in terms of your customer set? You need to think very differently about how you change your offering and, and, and your tone of voice and your messaging to potentially go after those young men when maybe you didn't before. So, uh, this whole idea of how you segment and how you use mindsets and, and, and archetypes, uh, to come up with those segments, it's changing every day and it's, it's completely fluid, but it's going to be very different than what you had 90 days ago.
0: Yeah. And throw that throw that book right out. And, and I guess I got a question about those archetypes. I'm going to hold it for a second. This will eventually, right? Everything's starting to reopen. Governments are saying you got to reopen. Fine. Uh, yeah. Things will reopen in stages. These archetypes, these types of folks will start to come in in waves. I mean, how... 90 days ago, they throw the book out. Or I guess throw the book out that you wrote 90 days. A new book is currently being written, as you just mentioned. Years of experience being tossed into weeks of time. At what point does uh, what chapters of the current book stay in the book once everything's open again? And essentially, this like crisis be super agile doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, it probably should be, but doesn't have to be the mindset of the brand. Like, what what are the most important things like being learned right now that that stick? Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a great question. For me, it's probably two things. One is the the brand. Th- this is where I think uh, some companies can get it wrong, and where really good companies get it right. The the brand, you know, you think about the DNA of a brand. The DNA should never really change, right? It's sort of like you as a person. If if you're blonde haired, blue eyed, or 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 you're redhead and 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 green eyed whatever it is, like right? your DNA doesn't change who you are. You know, if you're five foot two or you're six foot four or whatever. Um, but how you act and how you, how you speak to people, how you dress, these are all things that you can change, right? And so brands have to do the same thing. They need to be true to what they are at the core. What is their DNA? But how they come to life to the consumer may be very different. Take restaurants, for example, there are a number of restaurant brands out there today that are basically built on a sit-down concept. Come into our restaurant, this is our food offering, this is what our space looks like and feels like, this is the attitude of our servers, therefore add all of that up, that's our experience, right? And enter new data, which is, okay, people are not allowed in your restaurant, or if they are, there are 25% of them are allowed in. All of a sudden you put restrictions on that model and the economics don't make sense, right? So those brands can still be true to what they're about, but they're going to have to pivot to things like takeout, right? To delivery, um, to uh, maybe different parts of their menu need to become important. You know, how, how there are a lot of food brand, restaurant brands that haven't thought about how they provide beverages, right? And if you're, if you're a beverage business, if you're a soft drink company or you're a, a wine or spirits brand, it's really important. Like, why aren't some of these restaurant tours doing takeout or um, delivery of those beverages in unique and interesting ways that add value to the customer sets? Right. right. So, I think if you're true to who you are as a brand, um, you 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 continue to do that. But how you message and how you kind of show up is what needs to change.
0: Yeah. I so let me go back to the archetypes for a second. Because how 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 you Message needs to change is a good is a good mm-hmm. segue for this. So these archetypes, these types of folks, are going to come back in waves. Already, brands are thinking about okay, we got to stay true to ourselves, but at the same time, there are these restrictions that are put out there. That means that if we are a restaurant and we're twenty five percent capacity, but the first wave of people that are going to come in are exclusively, let's say, millennials, younger, single men. Fine. Um, there is a certain type of conversation that may be benefits that cohort most prior to like the 50% capacity. And it's mostly men and now some women start to trickle back in. The question I have next, I think, is around those differentiated conversations. How do you see the future of the way that brands enable that um, given this whole thing? The reason why I ask, and so I'm going to I'll provide a little bit of context. The reason why I ask is because I ask a lot of brands when I, when, you know, I ask a lot of CMOs when they come on this show, like, how are you um, using customers as your best mouthpiece? Essentially asking a question about peer marketing, but saying, how are you mobilizing your masses? Well, in this case, the, the masses are like very, very segmented, it sounds like. And as these like striated groups start to come in, h- how do brands think about differentiating conversations or messages? Like, these lines are going to borrow. That's
1: that's the beauty of modern marketing is that, is that it's, you know, broad reach one loudspeaker to sort of the masses just doesn't work. Right. Um, it's, it's hugely wasteful. It's not efficient. Um, a lot of it you can't track. Um, I think the, you know, the last bastion of really broad reach media was live sports television, right? Live sports television's on hold. There is no live sports, and you look at what channels today are. Where are people communicating with each other? Where are they getting their information, and news? It's all on their handheld, and and probably in the last ninety days, it's become even more concentrated in 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 social media. Um, and you've seen you've seen just the growth of things like TikTok. You've seen the launch, although I gather not as successful of, of Quibi. Of Quibi, yeah. Right? I was just gonna say. Um, and you so i I think the beauty of modern marketing today is that it can be incredibly targeted. And so what I would say is as it, in the old days, you built an annual brand plan, and i and I know I worked for you know companies very recently, Hilton being an example that that had annual plans. I mean three years ago, that didn't make sense, right? And we the, the problem is you have a, a company that big and that traditional in its way of working and reporting its earnings and things like this that it was it was forcing itself to create annual brand plans when it knew that they should be building at least quarterly plans. I think what's going to happen in the next 90 to 120 days is brands have to build 30-day plans. And you all you need to have line of sight to the second 30, right? The 30 to 60 and the third the third month if you will, the the 60 to 90 and and you've got it but the actual plan of execution for those second and third months needs to wait. And so, for instance, what we did with Top Golf during the during the closure was we looked at a plan that was um, communication one week prior to reopening. The first two weeks of opening was was a phase two. The uh, thirty days following that was phase three. The 60 days following that was phase four and beyond that was seemed like the next decade, right? It was the future. <laughs> we almost sort of were like, we'll get there when we get there, we got to focus. But you can see how the time span started with a two week times, actually a one week time span grew to a two week and then a 30 day, then a 60 day. And that was how we built the, we started to think about the plans. And so I think brands are going to have to, you know, that's not, that's just specific to one, one brand, but you're going to have to start thinking about the right now and changing that plan in 30 days. So you're almost going to have sort of monthly plans. Now, I'm not suggesting that on, you know, your first month, you're, you're saying you're an apple and in month two, you're saying you're an orange, but you might be going from a red apple to a green apple in, in a period of 30, 60 or 90 days. Right. And in terms of how you position yourself and which segments you go after. And you may go after those those young single men in, the, in that first 30 days. And you may start to communicate more to females uh, in, the, in the 60 to 90 days. And the beauty of digital social media, uh, digital platforms, is that you can be incredibly targeted. So you can create content um, that, that is targeted at these different segments. And, and you're gonna have to be incredibly agile in your content making. And this is challenging because you can't get out. If you're a physical location like Topgolf is to get out and physically create content um, is very challenging to do that and to create it fast and, and, and move quickly. Is, is very challenging. So having internal resources that are creative is is helpful. And if you have external resources like agencies, creative agencies, they need to be able to repurpose existing content and there are some that are, you know, really good at this. Um, and, and we there are, you know, millions of hours of, of video and static content that can be repurposed. And so you've got to be very quick and agile to be able to change that content for different segments and for those different time periods.
0: Right. You just mentioned that a couple of folks are doing it really well. You, you got a couple of examples, like who can we look to right now for like, you, you want to know how to like do this kind of right? Here's who to look at. Who, who do you see that is doing it? doing well?
1: Yeah, um, it's a good question. Uh, You know, I, um, you know, I think one brand, it depends, I think if you're riding it, you're riding a sort of positive swing. I I don't see a ton of brands. um, I still see most brands in the reassuring. We're not sure what the future brings kind of messaging. Yep. Um, I think, um, I think some have done that well. If you take the car companies, you know, a number of the car companies have come out with the like, um, if you buy or if you've already bought, you know, we'll give you some relief. We'll give you extension of payments, no interest for so many days, etc. And then, you know, interesting. I had to buy a car during this. Uh, I'm probably one of the few people that had to buy a car. Interesting. Uh, I, my well, my car just broke down, and I, oh, had, I to, had to had uh, to. It was time to to buy a new one, and so I went through this process during COVID, but. All of a sudden, from a marketing standpoint, I was inundated with social media posts and, and banner ads. And, and you know, my whole, as I was researching cars, I was very well targeted by a lot of different brands. And some brands did it really well. Um, and one brand did it incredibly poorly and kept saying, we're gonna get through this and we're here for you. And in fact, they keep doing it. I've already purchased a new car. Uh, well, I bought a used car, but I, it's new to me. And this brand, um, which I think has struggled you know, recently it was—it's Volkswagen—continues to market to me in this sympathetic way, and I'm not looking to for a car brand for sympathy, right? I'm looking for to a car brand to help my buying experience. You know, the, the other brands that have said we—you know—you can do a virtual test drive, or we can deliver a car to your driveway for a test drive. Um, and it'll be cleaned and sanitized and it'll be at the end of your driveway. And then when you're done, you leave it there and we'll pick it up. And then you tell us if you're interested or not, like there's an experience around a car brand that's much more interesting. Um, and I think it was Volvo who did that. Um, and, uh, so I, that's where I see brands doing it, you know, some really well, some not so well, I think Peloton is another brand, you know, it's the darling today, right? Um and it went through its hiccups back in what was it, January, Dece- February. December, yeah. We did a yeah, listeners you yeah, know we did a podcast yeah. on this.
0: What a great yeah. thing to happen to those guys. Everybody forgot about that spot. Yeah, you know, pretty so much.
1: they're now in a position where everyone needs to work out more and everyone's working out at home. Gyms are closed for the most part. Um and I think are less interesting, even if they're open, the idea of you know, sweaty people coming together and sharing grips and weights and things. Right. Uh, there probably can't be enough you know, Clorox wipes to to make people really comfortable with that. So they're they're riding the wave of the at home. I I heard recently that the wait for a new bike is eleven weeks. I mean, when ahead. I bought my on two two or three years ago, I think it was delivered either next day or forty eight hours. Um, and so now it's an eleven week wait, which shows the shows the demand. But here's a brand that I think is, is learning its way, pivoting very quickly, um, leveraging all the sports athletes who are using Pelotons to stay in shape. They just announced, um, you know, a competition, uh, a riding competition among some uh, professional sports players just yesterday. And, you know, I, I think this is where you make your brand relevant. This is where it comes back to your DNA. Peloton is a brand that's not about the bike. It's not about selling bikes. They get the majority of their revenue from their recurring membership subscription model. right? Um, and so it's a brilliant business model, but what they're really selling is community. They're actually not even selling fitness. The community is united through fitness, but it's that community that you want to be a part of, right? And whether that's the, the instructor that you happen to love or whether it's, you know, the competitive aspect that you always want to beat, you know, Pro Rider 1, 2, 3, or whatever the name is on the leaderboard. Sure. But community is what they're selling. And I think they've they finally started to recognize that ad that went so pear-shaped back in December was not about community. Right. And and, and I think they sort of lost their way. Now they're being forced back and they they've got the benefit of a of, of really strong business performance given what's happened. Um, but they're, they're, they're remembering and coming back to what they, what their DNA is, which is they are a community united by fitness.
0: Right. Yeah. So I'm glad that you had a couple of examples there, by the way, I think that the Peloton is a really, um, well, I see, I, I had a colleague just get a bike the other day and didn't have to wait. I don't, I don't think he had to wait 11 weeks not to ask him. Um, but to your broader point, organizations who are pushing the community, hard who are improving the buying experience and uh in doing so in a way that is genuinely helpful and timely obviously will make for a uh, for a brand that lasts and that's what consumers are are, are going to remember remember most so really really wisely point out point it out
1: and that's the authenticity i mean your 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 podcast is about authenticity in brands i think that word is is thrown around a little too much in it's marketing it's become
0: like a cliche i i started this like 19 months ago Stuart, and like nowadays Yeah,
1: it's a buzzword for good content. Right. And we have to ask ourselves, why is it good? And when you say, well, it was authentic. Well, what do we really mean by authentic? Authentic to me is that, you know, it's true to the brand, that it's true to that DNA, Um, it's it's relevant. That's really what, what to me is where the authenticity works is because it's relevant to me as a customer right? Because you can be true to your brand. If you're not relevant, nobody cares. Um, and so I think when you combine those two things is what really makes authenticity valuable in a brand.
0: Right. I agree with you. Um, and, uh, thanks, thanks for giving me this segue then I guess <laughs> into the, uh, into a roundout question, um, which is like, what's your advice on, what would be your advice to people who are, I don't know, looking to emulate your journey to, to, to be the head of a brand someday, uh, or maybe who's the head of a brand now and just need some lessons on, on how to get there. And you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a story for what you were going at to, top top golf or Hilton or a pitfall that you guys avoided. It's like, wow, we don't want to go down the path of an auto brand that gets on your nerves Uh, or advice from a mentor that you got years ago that has helped you or carried you along the way. What advice could you pass along to our listeners who are um probably in in your shoes, minus a number of years and are looking to make a splash and move and shake. But, but, of course be that cliched word of authentic along the way what would you say
1: i i would say we're at a unique time right now forced by this 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 pandemic to um be both i think we're going to see an incredible amount of innovation come out of this so if if you can drive innovation if you can help find the innovation in a brand and use innovation to further a brand. Now it's got to be driven by insights. It's got to be driven by data, um, not just innovation. I think we're going to see more innovation come faster out of this pandemic than ever before. So to what I always tell young people, we're at a point where innovation can come from anywhere. You've got all these bright people working on a brand at all levels of experience and seniority, leverage your experience and seniority. Or, you know, leverage whatever experience you have, regardless of your seniority um, to to bring that innovation forward. And I think it will be rewarded. The The, the old, you know, stay quiet. The, the the nail that sticks up gets hammered down like that's going to that's I think out the window. And I think there's a great opportunity if you are true to your brand um, and true to that DNA uh, and you can bring that innovation you'll be incredibly rewarded and you'll go far. I think the best advice I ever got, which I have told every person who has ever worked for me, because it was the best advice. And I got this advice in 1997 uh, by, by uh, my, the CEO of the company I worked for at the time. His name was Penn Kavanaugh, And he was a brilliant marketing guy With and he was just about to retire and he was passing. And he, uh, he said to everybody, he said it often, he said, take care of the brand and the brand will take care of you take care of the brand and the brand will take care of you. And what he meant was that if you, if you were true to the brand, if you were on brand with your decisions, if you were true to that brand's DNA, if you stayed the course in terms of the strategy and direction of the brand, sales would go up, your sales would come in, your revenue would happen, your profit would happen. And therefore you'd make your quarter, your year, And then you personally, your bonus would come in. Right. Right. And, and I have found, look, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. He was right. In every situation I have seen, when you take care of the brand, the company does well. When I watch people not take care of the brand, they either short it for the short term or they think they're innovating and they're actually moving away from the DNA of the brand. They're, they're pivoting and for the wrong reasons, not guided by insight, not guided by data. That's when people ruin brands, and that's when the sales go down. And um, uh, and you're seeing that a lot with with you know some bankruptcies. You know, you think about it, think about a Neiman Marcus, right? Great brand, luxury space. You think about a Macy's, similar retail space, right? Um, heavily dependent on bricks and mortars, very expensive. Now you can't get people to come into the building legally until they reopen. So what what is the DNA of Neiman Marcus? Is it is it a big box luxury retailer or is it the procurer of the finest things in life? Now, it happened to be for many, many years, you experienced that in a big box. But if the DNA of that brand is actually that they procured and found these amazing things, does it have to be? sold through a big box. No, it doesn't. It can be sold. Now there's so much technology, it can be sold on your phone. You could be, you know, you think about all the box companies that ship you things and you pick what you like and you ship back the rest at their expense. Like there's all these ways Neon Marcus could have pivoted their business uh, more in a different direction that was less bricks and mortar oriented that might've prevented their bankruptcy. Maybe wrong. I'm not a retail expert, but it's just an example of if you are, if you stay true to your brand, um, but you drive innovation, you can survive.
0: That's an interesting way to put it. Okay, thank you for sharing that uh, that advice with us. By the way, from '97, I'm sure it's still. Uh, people probably need to hear that more, especially right now, and wide-reaching across all of these different examples that you've. That you've given over this last half hour, which I'm really appreciative of you uh, providing, by the way, and I thank you for your thoughts and, and for your authenticity, uh, for being real with me, frankly, because sometimes I don't get that uh, on the show. Contrary to what uh, I might position to listeners, not everybody is not everybody is straightforward. So I appreciate that.
1: Well, Adam, this has been a, a great chat, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to to share some of this. It's been it's even sometimes clarifying for us that are being interviewed and and spoken to when we get the chance to talk about it we even remember some of those great pieces of advice or we think about things in 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 a clearer more strategic way when we're when we're asked to articulate it out loud
0: yep well well, it's my pleasure (laughs) so and again thank you for coming on the show
1: great you have a great day
0: Thank you so much to Stuart Foster for joining the show today. I really appreciated the specific examples you were able to give. Of course, how you define authenticity as well. And I would say we'll get through this together, but I'm pretty sure I know how you'd react to that. If you enjoyed this show, here's what you can do. Stay listening, obviously, but there's a couple places where you can stay in touch. First off, we got a website podcast.vivoom.co. I encourage you to check that out. That's our digest of episodes. And if you haven't been listening before, now you can look back to the roughly 80 or 90 episodes, I think north of 90 now, episodes that I have with CMOs and founders and CEOs and all sorts of great marketing minds. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Authentic Influence Podcast showcase page there, which includes those episodes as well as other little tidbits that we'll be dropping along the way with regard to events, press, all that that good stuff and then finally i'm there too adam connor reach out connect send me a message let me know what you like what you don't what you recommend for the future and if there's anybody you can introduce me to that would be great as well i will be right back with another fantastic show we're going to talk about a brand we're going to talk about how they become authentic and we're going to talk about how they mobilize their masses through it and until then for authentic influence i've been your host adam connor and you will hear from me again next time